Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Um, they're trying to get a... Can, what's the... Conviction? A, yeah, no. Uh, what do when they say that they've done it? A confession. <gasps> That's it. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Chick Street, the podcast that is rewriting the history books to include the women that were written out of it. My name is Annie, and no, you haven't started listening to the newest 1800 number called Call Annie for Sexy Times. (laughs) Oh, hello there. I've just got a cold. Um, But I am joined by the delightful Phoebe Wilkins. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. And you sound bright and sparkly as always. Thanks. And I sound like I've smoked a packet of, well, I said Winnie Blues and you said (laughs) Peter Jackson's. Peter Jackson gold. Peter Jackson gold. I know. I said said, um, Winnie Blues or Horizons. Mm, Yeah. 50s. Horizon yeah. 50s, and I smoked yeah. every single goddamn one in that packet. <laughs> Just one after the other. <laughs> oh, dear, no, I have had a little bit of a head cold, but um, I'm, on the, I'm on the mend. So that's been my week, lots of bed, lots of TV, lots of um, watching things. Oh, yeah, anything and good? I, yeah, I finished Shining Girls. Oh, yeah. What is it about? Well, it's it's about it's about it's a murder mystery, mm-hmm. but it also involves a little bit of time travel. Ooh, yeah, and it's very. Um, it's got Elizabeth Moss from Handmaid's Tale. Oh yeah, and um, Mad Men. In Mad Men, mm. yeah, exactly, and um, and she's brilliant. Yeah, and you sort of it's one of those things you watch, and you kind of a sort of going what I don't get it I don't what's going on and you know nothing kind of makes sense mm. but then mm. it all starts unraveling and it has that big like ah moment mm. at the end so highly recommend that and I also finished so I got that got through all of that which is, I think <laughs> six episodes and then I did Blackbird oh I haven't heard of that one is also a true it's based on a true story of a serial killer. So it's lighthearted. Oh, look, I really like to go just for the lighthearted. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, no, well, you know, I do. I love a bit of murder mystery. I love a bit, love a bit of true crime. But that's that's brilliant. And it's um, yeah, it's it's a true story based on a, a serial killer that they're trying to get a confession out of him, and they put in another prisoner into the same prison mm-hmm. who has done like a, a drug-related a crime um, and they the FBI use him to try to get him to get the confession out of him and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. So if you like that kind of mind hunter sort of um, profiling, like serial mm-hmm. killer profiling, really yep. kind of psycho analysis of kind of you know, um, serial killers and why they do what they do. It's fascinating. Okay. So that's me. 
this that's week. You. That's what you have you in a nutshell? Up? That's me in a nutshell. What have yeah. you been up to this week? Um, not watching um, things about serial killers. Okay, that's uh, good. Well, not that I'm aware of. No, I've had a few breakthroughs <gasps> with some research in the last have? couple of weeks. Oh, have you? I was wait, no. I was dying for the day that you would bring this to the podcast oh, and tell I us know, I know. what you've done as part yeah. of your, your business, a born and bred historical research. That is correct. So um, I had – there are two really big – uh, breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. I had a client come to me wanting a family tree and she had two big holes in the tree, so to speak. So mm. there were two Ill- illegitimate births and these we're looking back in the early um, 1900s and sort of the wow. 1920s, 1930s. Yeah. And anyway, usually you look at that and go, it's going to be virtually impossible to find the father because that's what it is it's the father missing from the certificate for one reason or another maybe you know it was it came about in a not a very nice way Mm. maybe the father was already married you know they weren't married yeah whatever the case may have been and it was quite common to leave father's details off Mm. yeah Mm. that's right even um even if the the couple were a couple mm-hmm. but weren't married yes. but then went on to get married, you still wouldn't necessarily yeah. put the father because you yeah. it would ask it would ask on a birth certificate, for Victoria at least, uh, the marriage details of the yeah. couple. Mm-hmm. Um, so very common, yeah. very common. Um, so quite often these things just, you know, they might have been spoken about um, in an oral history manner throughout yeah. Uh, throughout family history, but anyway, they this particular family didn't know anything about these two um, two big question marks, and I did a lot of digging, a mm. lot of digging, and mm-hmm. it's really like there were some really tiny little clues. And anyway, I found the two missing fathers, so it's two generations, two separate oh, wow. generations, and I. Was really excited. Like I was. I just got goosebumps. Yeah, really excited. That's so, so cool. Yeah. When you say you found them, do you find mm-hmm. like a name? Like you've got like a full sort of name. Is that is that the detail that they're looking for? Yeah. Or do you so actually go? Both of them. I was lucky in that um, the the children in question who had who were born illegitimately yeah. were. Um, made wards of wards of the state mm-hmm. so they had a record uh so yeah. to speak mm-hmm. and there were little clues in those records to say that you know um, they were born illegitimately uh the mother took the father to court roughly in this time period so right. that was one of them i was able to find a court record oh which then um told me the father's name because you know yeah, the mother yeah. was suing the father for maintenance mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and then the second one who was um that was born illegitimately was born into it was the mother was a ward of the state as well and she was very young when she had this child and anyway right. i found um both of their records and they had the father listed however the father in the second case which was sort of the more recent one so within the last 110 years or so yeah. <laughs> recent um yeah. <laughs> his name was very common so right. yeah it that was that mm-hmm. was harder mm-hmm. but um i still found them nonetheless and there was a lot of yeah, you sort of pull one little thread and all of these things. Fascinating. Sort of, yeah, so that was that's, very exciting. That's so cool. And then do you sort of 
I mean, you must you're kind of delivering that news, thinking, is this good news? Like, do they do mm. they have a hunch that maybe they knew, or did they yeah. not know any? They didn't know any. anything, absolutely nothing. Wow. And I um I spoke to this client, and I was really excited. And I said to her, I said, look, I'm like this is. This is exciting for me as well because I love being able to help find these things. Yeah. So they had absolutely no idea, all completely new information for them. And I think it answered a few questions for the family as well, even though it was a number of generations ago. Yeah. It's still, you know, you're still um, so cool. being able to answer a question. So that was really cool. And then another one, which was, again, an- another question mark. A lot of what I do is sort of breaking down brick walls people can't find answers or they're yeah. getting really stuck on things or there's a big question mark over the disappearance of someone and mm-hmm. um, mm. this family had um, one of their ancestors ancestors had just disappeared they thought he might have ended up in Sydney and this is in the 1940s 1950s yeah. so relatively yeah. recently yeah and um, anyway all they really knew was that the the children of this particular man were looked after by his sister or his sisters and all they thought was the sisters had flower names. So, you know, maybe Rose or Violet right. or Lily, that yep. sort of thing, mm-hmm. was not able to find any information on him. He appeared in um, a couple of electoral roles in the early 20s mm. and so I narrowed down three families who had sisters with flower names and I was fairly certain I knew, I thought I knew which one it was. Anyway, I sent all of this information to my client and she she wrote back and said, oh, my God, we've got this photo of three kids standing outside the Limerick Hotel in North Melbourne and this is where one of the families is from, two doors up. Goosebumps again. I know. So I was like, oh, my God, it's like. That's amazing. It has, it has to be. It has yes. to be that family. So she said, and the kids went to school up the road at North Melbourne Primary School. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So some, there's been some yeah. wins, which is, um, which is always you. exciting. And if you're listening and you want to, like, you know, find out your family history, the podcast isn't sponsored, but, I mean, it could be sponsored yeah. by Phoebe's Born and Bred Historical Research. That's right. I could do a jingle. You could, we could do a jingle for <laughs> we you. We should. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of jingles, it's time for Phoebe's Historical Fact. <laughs> Today's historical fact. Mm. Um, look, it's no secret that you and I both have great loves in our lives um, and those are our four-legged furry friends. <gasps> Correct. Yes. So you, you, Annie has um, Pete and Peggy. I do. And I have Hunter. Oh. And they are just the best. They, they really are. Honestly, are. the best. I they don't care really what anyone are. says. They really are. <laughs> and look, I, me. Go on. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, look, you don't need to apologise for putting photos of Hunter on Instagram either. Okay. All you, right. You just keep on just, doing that content because yep. okay. that is the content <laughs> I need mm. just myself personally, yeah. but I think okay. everyone needs more dog content. Never apologise. I agree. That's my whole discovery on Instagram. It's just dog videos. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sad. I watch a dog video. Yeah. I'm happy. I watch a dog video. Mm. Yeah, that, that's my that's my TikTok for you page. Yeah. All dogs doing something adorable exactly. or funny. Exactly. Anyway, so a few days ago, we officially celebrated International Dog Day. Oh, I'm 
be I know. Sorry, I know. Guys. But hey, look, it's International Dog Day every day. Hey, well, now, this so, is true. This yeah. is true. Yep, exactly. So I thought um, on that note, I'd give you a few fun historical facts about our furry friends. Please do. Yeah. Okay, so Labradors were named after the region of um, Eastern Canada, which was called the Labrador Peninsula. I did not know that. No. Amazing. Me so these are oh, these are things I've recently learned as well. Love it. Mm. Yeah. Dobermans were named after a Derm a German. A German. A German. <laughs> a German. A German. A German. A German dog breeder by the name of Louis Doberman, who it was said would go around and visit homes collecting taxes. And he wanted a strong looking dog um, either for his protection or as a scare tactic. Wow. To get that money. Uh, Jack Russells were named after a man called John Russell, who was um, better known yeah. as Jack, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who was born in 1795 and was a hunting enthusiast and wanted a breed, wanted to breed a special kind of terrier with shorter legs who would be able to climb more easily. Oh, oh I know. And then yes. of, um, being a terrier, so the name terrier goes back to the French chien terrier, which means earth dog. As they're quite good at burrowing, so they do. I heard that, and I think I may have heard that on the podcast that we Mm, both love. Yeah, something rhymes with purple. Yep, um, about the terrier, and yeah, and that they dig the dig the earth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they go down rabbit holes and foxholes and stuff, and pugs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the word pug, along with cabbage. Bag pudding and pig's eye were all once terms of endearment, right? Pig's eye. Pig's eye. I like and bag my pudding. Bag, my little, <laughs> little bag, bag pudding. pudding. My little cabbage. Yeah. Oh, little <laughs> my cabbage. little cabbage. <laughs> so that um, name goes back to the Latin word pugnus, which then gave mm. us the name pugnacious because it has a flat, scrunched face like it's been punched. Really? <gasps> Truly? Is that why that? Yeah, Aww. yeah, yeah. A little punched-in face for I a pug. Know. And mm. a fact that my sister likes to tell us is that, um, which isn't nice, but you can't sit a pug backwards in a convertible because they can't breathe because of all their breathing difficulties, oh, the way they've been bred. Mm. Yeah. Those, I mean, yeah, look, they're not. the dogs aren't supposed to have punched-in faces like no. that. No. No. So no. if you've got a pug, look after its breathing. Yeah. I feel like a bit of a pug at the moment myself because <laughs> it can't breathe out of my nose. Oh, or you've been punched in the face. I'm but pug, yeah. Pugnacious at the moment. Just call me Pugnacious. Um, so they're my little doggy facts for today. I love that. Um, a little fact I learnt um, from, I actually learnt this from Evie and I think it was from one of her followers I hate saying that word. It sounds very cult-like, but mm. one of her Instagram friends um, said, told her, yeah, she was. I think she was looking after Peggy one time and had put some content of Peggy up and someone had said that whippets were bred for or were used f- for the gypsy um, population oh. to steal things so she is a stealer so she will steal my shoes my underwear my clothing anything that's kind of sort of she thinks is a little bit forbidden or out of bounds she will as soon as you turn your your Mm. head she's she's a little thief and that's it's that whole 
Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Because they would go in and steal the, <gasps> the, the things. Mm. Anyway, don't know if that's true. I'm, look, I've got, I'm going off a source of well, one. Yeah. And I don't. That'll do. That'll do. <laughs> All right. So today I'm going to take you back to Germany. We're talking the early 1900s and just some notable things that were taking place in the world around this time. Um, We had the mass production of the automobile. Uh Uh-huh, brum, brum. Brum, brum. I think around 1906 or something was the first Ford Ford car, Mm -hmm. the Ford guy. Yeah. So that's, yes. Um, The introduction of the typewriter. It's important. The uh, first audio broadcast of entertainment and music was made to the general public. On the wireless? On the wireless. On in the wireless. In Canada. In Canada. <laughs> um, <laughs> first wave feminism is seeing progress with universities being opened for women in Japan, Bulgaria, Cuba, Russia and Peru. Oh, wow. Yeah. The beautiful thing about this podcast is that if you get curious about a subject and you go away and you research it, it's amazing what you what you find. And this is from something you said in a previous episode about coffee. And we talked oh, about coffee and coffee yeah. houses. Yeah, yeah. And it got me thinking about coffee and I just thought, I wonder where coffee comes from. And, you know, that's just that's what we do, chick historians. We're mm-hmm. curious. Go away. Had a little had a little Google of that. Lo and behold, I found a very interesting story and today's episode is all about coffee, coffee. and an invention <sighs> that was made by a chick. So let's take a, just a little look back at the history of coffee itself because mm-hmm. I know we did coffee houses, mm, coffee yes. houses in Melbourne last week. Yep. Um, was, was that last week or maybe the week before? Um, So there are many legends surrounding the actual origin of coffee, but one of my favourites had to do with goats, and I love goats. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to go with this one. It's worked. It worked. (laughs) It worked for me. So um, the story goes that a goat herder was um, out on the Ethiopian plateaus. We're talking like 14th century. And he noticed that his goats were full of energy after they were eating a particular berry from a nearby bush. And the goats were so excited that they wouldn't sleep that night. And it was actually really annoying for the goat herder because he was like, just fucking go to sleep. Pipe down. Come on. And they wouldn't. They were all just party, 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 party. So the, the herder reported his findings to the local monastery and the abbot of the monastery made a drink with the berries, thought he'll give it a crack, and he found that it kept him alert through the long hours of evening prayer, which was very useful because he could stay up all night praying, no time for sleep. So the abbot shared his discovery with other monks at the monastery and the knowledge of these energising berries began to spread. So by the 15th century, coffee was being grown in the Yemeni district of Arabia. And by the 16th century, it is um, known in Persia, Egypt, Syria and Turkey. By the 17th century, it makes its way to Europe and is becoming um, popular across the continent. Some people reacted to this new beverage with suspicion or fear. 
calling it the bitter invention of Satan. <laughs> Would you go that far? Well, look, I don't like the stuff. I know. I'm not sure I'd go that far. The invention of Satan. Um, the local clergy actually condemned coffee when it came to Venice in 1615 and the controversy, the controversy was so great that the Pope, uh, Pope Clement VIII, Uh, was asked to intervene. He decided to taste the drink for himself before he'd make the decision, but he found that the drink was so satisfying that he gave it the papal approval. (laughs) There you go. Easily swayed. I wonder if that's why coffee is so big in Italy. Yeah, Because if it's got the papal approval, then you're like, this shit must be good. Yeah. Um, So coffee began to replace the common breakfast drink beverages of the time, which were... Beer and wine. (laughs) Feeling fine. Beer and wine. (laughs) So, look, surprisingly, those who drank coffee instead of alcohol began the day alert and energised. And not surprisingly, the quality of their work was greatly improved. Which is hilarious. Um, So now we have the crazy um, coffee culture that we have today, but... Did you know that we have a woman to thank for coming up with one of the most common ways that we consume coffee today? No, I did not. Please tell me more. Now, people who know their coffee are going to know straight away when I say her name, but people who don't, that's okay. Next time you're at the supermarket, you will notice this. It's not Nescafe Blend 45, (laughs) is it? So Nescafe (laughs) Blend 45 was No. Um, Melita Bentz was born in Dresden, Germany in 1873. She came from a family of successful businessmen and entrepreneurs. Her father was a publisher and her grandparents owned a brewery. Around 1899, she marries a guy called Johannes Emil Hugo Bentz. He's a small business owner and the couple have three children, two boys and one girl. Now, Melita is, um, oh, and there's also two different pronunciations. It's, um, I've heard Melita and Melita. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to go with Melita. So Melita was a pretty typical housewife. She spent her day caring for the children, running the household. And like most people, uh, she started her day with a cup of coffee. So it's the early 1900s, um, and if you can afford it, coffee is brewed in cloth bags, and these bags are used over and over again. Um, they're washed every single time, washed and rinsed every single time you make a, a cup of coffee. And um, But if you're not able to afford the bags, you would just pour hot water over fine coffee powder and wait for the powder to settle, mm-hmm. similar to how we make instant coffee today. Mm-hmm. So um, people tried to sift sieve people people would try to sieve 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 sift sift sieve i think you you put it in a sieve but i think it's sifted. sift i sift? think it's sift yeah now, now i think it's syphilis <laughs> sift. i think it's sift sift yeah 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 so people would uh sift the coffee but rarely this rarely resulted in clean coffee because the holes of the sieve were either too, well, Eva, 
<laughs> yeah. Did you have beer and wine for breakfast? Oh, I think I had beer and wine for breakfast. Um, because the holes of the sieve, see, why can't I, why am I having so much problem with that word? Sieve, sieve, sieve. Okay. Because the holes of the sieve were either too small or, and they would get clogged or they were too large and they did nothing. So after you, um, and after you finish this process, the coffee was often only lukewarm. So it wasn't a very nice, um, enjoyable cup of coffee at the end. And the coffee grounds often caused an unpleasant aftertaste. So uh, Melita hated this method of making coffee. She thought it was really inconvenient. And she also thought it didn't taste very nice. So she thought there must be a better way. Mm -hmm. So she set to work experimenting with different ways to brew coffee. And this is when she came up with her brilliant idea. She grabbed a small brass pot. um, She grabbed some nails and she hammered in some holes in the bottom of the pot. Then she grabbed a piece of blotting paper from her son's notebook She put the sheet of paper over the holes in the bottom of the brass pot. She added the coffee grounds and then she poured boiling water over the top. She noticed that only clean coffee was filling up the cup that she'd placed underneath it. And she knew that she was on to something. So not only did the coffee taste better, but she discovered a cheap and disposable way of brewing coffee. So at the age of 35, housewife Melita Bentz invents the very first paper coffee filter. Look at her go. Look at her go. So she tests her new invention on a few of her friends and she would host coffee afternoons where she would demonstrate her new way of brewing coffee. Um, And Melita's way of brewing coffee soon became everyone's preferred way of brewing and um, she finessed her design and within two years she'd filed for a patent on her design. She was granted a patent patent for her innovation in June 1908 and she became one of the first women to have her own invention personally protected. Yay! Well done! Now we know that like if you've been listening to Chick Street for a while, it was very, very uncommon for women to actually go and get a patent on mm. these things. So she's very clever, I think, because she'd come from a family of entrepreneurs and businessmen, mm. that something had sort of gotten in there where she was like, I've got to go and protect this idea. Yeah, and good on her. Thanks, fuck she did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so shortly after, she officially starts her own business and she registers her business name, M. Bentz, um, into the commercial register. Again, which is something really rare for women to do. Mm. So uh, the company, which starts with a capital of 72 Reichsfennig. Reichsfennig. Some kind of money. Reichsfennig? I don't know. Something like that. And I tried to look up what that means, but I think it's like 72 cents. Yeah, so not a lot of money. Right, um, and the company was based in the room in a, in one room of the family apartment. Melita and her husband would start by producing their first coffee filters at home. They start with just fifty filters, and they travel around to shops trying to present their invention. Her husband would set up displays in shop windows to demonstrate how they would uh, how they would work, and her two sons would make deliveries by 
um, hand in a cart. Meanwhile, Melita is running the show. Like this is her business. Amazing. In 1909, uh, Melita presents her filter at a trade fair and she sells 1,200 <gasps> units. Holy dooly. That's a lot more than 50 that they've uh, originally Absolutely. made. Absolutely. So throughout this time, they're constantly trying to improve their products. If we fast forward 20 years, so the company is like going great guns, she's produced, the, the company's produced over 100,000 filters and it's oh, still wow. expanding. Um, but the First World War comes, obviously, and uh, the import of coffee is stopped and paper becomes really scarce mm-hmm. and her husband and her sons are called to fight. So Melita's able to guide her company through the years of war as well as the turbulent post-war period. She also becomes the first coffee roaster in Germany to offer ground and vacuum-packed coffee. Oh, wow. And um, in 1923, her eldest son, Willie, becomes co-owner and he uh, comes on board to help spur on the sales and the upswing of the company begins. By the 1930s, the filter's original design changes uh, rather drastically and they so instead of it being a round, flat um, filter, it becomes the V-shaped, cone-shaped oh, filter yeah. that we mm-hmm. know. So yeah. I remember, like, I mean, and this is like if you're listening from the States, this is this is your filter that you put in your in mm-hmm. the coffee pots, those coffee pots that sit, you know, on your counter, um, that black kind of Americano-style coffee. But I remember growing up, we had we had these, and we had the the filter, pa- the paper bags that you would, you know, put in and brew your next next batch and you just throw away the coffee filter um so yeah and so by the by the 1930s um they had come up with the unmistakable triangular folded paper filter that we know today melita and her husband decide to step down from running the day-to-day operations of the company in 1932 and their sons take over but Melita um, is still very heavily involved with the company. She also starts a social fund called the Melita Aid for Employees where um, basically she's just raising money for any employees that need it. It's still in place today. Um, it also means that her employees can take three weeks um, worth of holidays a year as well. Wow which is in the, in the 1930s and yeah. 40s, can you imagine? Yeah. Um, so she was more involved in that philanthropic uh, side of the business. The family business now produces 50 million coffee filters a day. Holy shit. Because despite all the different types of capsules and tabs and coffee machines and blah, 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 the classic filter coffee continues to be the most popular way that we drink coffee. Nowadays, Melita is an international company that is still in the field of coffee products um, and is still a family-run business. It's run by her grandsons, Thomas and Stephen Bentz. Isn't that amazing? And you can see, and and once you once you see it, you'll go, oh, of course, like the packaging, it's green and red. And it's got her name. It's got Melita written across the top, um, and you'll you'll see it. Like you'll notice it now, yeah. and be like, 
That's after Melita Bentz. Um, they, they've gone through, if you go on the website too, it's really interesting kind of time, well, I thought it was interesting, timeline just around kind of the packaging and sort mm. of all the different sort of marketing that they tried and their first cinema ad and um, the different types of um, paper that they use. So they mm. went into kind of really environmentally really environmentally conscious using raw materials with no bleaching agents and all of that kind of stuff. So they had like a natural brown filter paper. They saw sort of sales start to dip when they changed their filters from white to brown. There must be something Mm -hmm. psychological that was going on people's heads. So they ended up then uh, inventing a paper that is like the brown paper that didn't have any of the bleaching agents, but was still white and it was to the environment. So today the Melita Group employs more than 4,000 people uh, across the world and the company has reported, um, the company reported its revenue in 2017, which is the last thing I could find, as 1.5 billion <gasps> euros. Holy dooly. And that is the story of Melita Bentz, a little housewife who at the age of 35 invented the first paper coffee filter that we still use over a hundred years. Oh wow, wow! What a chick! What a chick! Isn't that great? Yeah, I love doing this podcast too. Yeah, I know, right? I was like, I'm just gonna look at coffee and have a look, and then all this stuff came up, and I was like, I've seen that brand in the shop. Yeah, my whole life. Yeah, and I don't know. It's like it all, we almost need like a invented by a chick. Badge yeah, on it. like a sticker, like a yeah. stamp and a sticker, because you know, I, I'd have we'd have no idea. Mm, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So I think because of that, you should start drinking coffee. <laughs> the devil's drink. The devil. Satan. Drink. Satan's drink. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, look, I I could make a filter coffee. That's about. <laughs> That's about the extent of it. I love it. I also love that she just was like, it tastes bad. It, it, you know, it sucks to make it. It's really messy. I can't be bothered cleaning after, you know, blah, blah, blah. And instead of just like not drinking it, <laughs> she's like, no. She's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to oh. find a way that I can still ingest this horrible black liquid into, into me, get it into me. I'll just come up with a way to do it because I love it that much. Yeah. Wow. See? What is it? Um, necessity is the month. No. Invention, invention is this an... necessity. No. No. Invention is the mother of. No, that's no. not right. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> is it necessity? Necessity is the invention. Inve- is... <laughs> Far out. Oh, it was in my brain just before. Come on, let's look it up. Invention is the mother of necessity. Necessity, yep. Mm. <laughs> well, you know what they say, invention <laughs> is the mother of necessity. <laughs> yes, they do, Annie. Yes, they do. Thanks for joining us, Chickstorians. Hope you're enjoying this season. Oh, and I do have to do a shout out. Hang on. We got an email. <gasps> oh, my God. Fan mail? We got fan mail. Oh, my God. 
from our episode on Mary Dyer, you know, we put a call out for people to um, tell us if they, you know, had any, knew any Quakers or had any Quakers in the family. Well, Laura emailed us and said that her great grandparents were Quakers um, and she had not heard of Mary Dyer except for our podcast. So she wanted to say thanks for letting her learn about something new. Aw, thanks for getting in touch, Laura. Sincerely, Laura. I know. Thanks for listening. So, yeah. yeah, please don't be shy. Send us an email if you like. We love receiving um, yeah. fan fan mail and the Do, email. And if, yeah, and if you think of um, other chicks that you want to learn more about, let us know and we'll see, you know, what we can find. Please do. Mychickstry mm. at gmail.com. Also follow us on all the socials and the things, Chickstry Podcast on Instagram and, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with some more chickstree for your ears. Yes, we will now. Go, hope- and have, go and have your breakfast and a beer and a wine. <laughs> Start your ha- day. <laughs> I'm going to have a slice of toast and a nice rosé. <laughs> <laughs>